continuous improvement comes in lots of different flavors and styles. I'm Bella Engelbach, and I'm inviting you to journey with me to the edges of lean. Episode 95, Continuous Improvement and Perfect Attendance with Harriet Stein. Harriet Stein would like us to pay attention. Paying attention is an absolute necessity for lean practitioners, but is not something we all find easy or even know how to start practicing. Harriet kindly spent some time with me at the edges of lean explaining how to build our attentiveness skills and why improving them can improve our lean practice and our quality of life. Harriet is the author of Perfect Attendance, Being Present for Life. Harriet Stein, welcome to the Edges of Lean. <laughs> Thank you, Bella. I am very excited to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, it's really a thrill to have you here. And for my audience, I just want you to know that Harriet and I have worked together in the past at two different companies. So we have uh, we have a little bit of history between us. Um, and so that makes it extra, extra special for me to have Harriet here today to talk about what she does, I think is very important for those of us practicing lean. So Harriet, could you introduce yourself to everyone and tell us what you do and a little bit about your pathway? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, definitely, it's a, it's a wonderful uh, opportunity to be here and share this with you and your, your listeners. Uh, so I started as a nurse. I began my career as a nurse. And after working in hospitals for 12 years, my life immediately changed one day when my mother, who was 58 years old and didn't smoke and rarely drank and was at her ideal weight, got diagnosed with a type of cancer linked to the immune system. And work stress was a major uh, factor in her situation, uh, where they say a lot, I was just reading uh, this afternoon that almost 95% of cancers can actually be linked to some of the stress and inflammation that we have in our body, which is just fascinating. So she went from diagnosis to dying in four and a half months. And I made the the um, the decision at that point to leave working in hospitals and then went into pharma for the next 20 years where I began actually conducting clinical research and then I began teaching clinical research. And what is so fascinating is I would not be here today and I am very big on the ripples of the impact of different people's how we have on each other's lives but there's over 8 billion people on this planet. And I get choked up even saying it, Bella, okay? So if you had not hired me into Johnson & Johnson, uh, I would never have then said to a, a future manager, you know, I'd like to do a little something during lunch and teach people about mindfulness. And you know, that manager, which was not you, um, so I'm not going to in any way throw you under the bus here, but that manager said, it's okay to do it, just don't tell anyone. And I think that happens sometimes at work. And uh, the first week, we had two people, and the next week, there weren't enough chairs. And it's how I ended up teaching 5,000 people and over 70 programs, uh, you know, on the side while I was at J&J until I left six years ago to focus entirely 
on bringing this practice that I have found so impactful to other companies and organizations literally around the world. Wow. And I, you know, I remember at a time at J&J that one of the things that was really uh, amazing about you is that you were very um, uh, good at speaking up and saying, hey, here's where something, you know, could be better, where something could be improved and, and bringing new ideas. So I'm so glad that you got that opportunity. Um, and I do think it's funny that the manager said, oh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but literally, we oh, don't. Well. I don't think people realize the impact they have on other people's lives, because if you hadn't hired me into this organization at the time, right, I would never have thought to myself, well, let me see, let me try this, uh, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people have been impacted by your one decision. Oh, that's, well, that's incredible. And thank you for sharing that. Wow. So. Can you explain for us, when you say mindfulness, I think people have a lot of different things in mind when uh, they hear the word mindfulness, all, all mm. kinds of things, you know, um, which often sound really hard. Um, and so can you tell us how Harriet sees it and, and what, what your approach is? Yes, uh, it's so simple. All it is, is paying attention moment by moment with non-judgment. That's literally it. It's paying attention to our thoughts, to our emotions, how we're feeling in our body. It, it truly is just noticing moment by moment without judging things as good or bad. Uh, and it's, you know, a lot of people, like you just said, have made it into jargon, which as a person who teaches non-judgment, I am very aware when I start judging. So when I go to the supermarket and I'm trying to buy, you know, a healthy mayonnaise and literally on the bottle of mayo, it says mindful mayo. And I'm like, no, no, it, it's not alive. It cannot be mindful. So, you know, this has nothing to do with religion. This is nothing. We didn't light any candles. We're not going to be chanting. None of that. All it is, is paying attention moment by moment. So Harriet, you know, we live in a world where, that demands that we don't pay attention, or it feels like the world demands that we don't pay attention. Um, how do you help people with that? Uh, well, the first thing is a lot of times people tell me, uh, I can't practice this because I'm the type of person that has a lot of thoughts in their head. <laughs> and I still can't say that without kind of having a little giggle kind of <laughs> um, uh, sneak out uh, because who among us doesn't have a lot of thoughts in their head? Like if we didn't have thoughts in our head, we wouldn't be alive, right? So it's really just noticing all these thoughts we have in our head. And when we when we start checking in and noticing them, we realize we are rarely in the present moment. The only one that exists right now is this one. And yet we, we, you know, all through my book, I have these exercises called place a pause because, and not place a pause for 10 minutes or place a pause for an hour. It's place a pause for a moment. And where is it most valuable when you check in with yourself 
that where is your attention? You know, is it a, in a past we can't change? Or is it in a future and we maybe a worry that takes up a, a lot of time for a lot of people in our attention? And, you know, I mean, if we could tell the future, we all would have won the lottery by now. <laughs> right. Just, just pick the right ticket. So when yeah. you're talking about placing a pause, you're, you're not talking about, I think, what, what a lot of us think, which is, well, I need to have completely quiet place. I need to be on my own. The dogs have to stop barking. The boss has got to stop texting me. Um, you know, all I, all these things have to happen before I can be mindful. I, I, what I hear you say, Harriet, is that you can just take that moment and just attend to that moment. And then does that then help you then build up a practice of being more attentive for longer if you're starting with this very small momentary pause? Yeah, that's such a that's such a great example because a lot of times when I'm teaching programs, I use riding a bike as an example. Because you know, the first time you get on a bike, what happens, right? We fall, fall off. We fall off. And then what happens the second time we get on a bike? We fall off. We fall off, right? <laughs> it's, it's exactly the same thing with mindfulness. So when you get on that bike again and again and again, eventually, you know, uh, it might be a half hour, it might be an hour, it might be a couple of days, it might be a couple of weeks. Eventually you find your balance. And even if you haven't been on that bike for a decade, you can get on, right? And ride without any problem and you're fine. It's the same thing with mindfulness. When you begin checking in and placing these pauses during your day, uh, I encourage people sometimes to maybe set a little appointment with yourself every hour, you know, either on the calendar or with a watch or whatever. It could be silence. Nobody needs to know you're doing this. It could vibrate, whatever. Uh, checking in, you know, and then when you do check in and you think, oh my goodness, I am never in the present. I am always thinking about a past I can't change or worrying or planning about a future. Wow. And especially, I don't know about other people, especially for me at two o'clock in the morning, right? So at two o'clock, <laughs> two o'clock in the morning, uh, you know, that's a, that would be a really good time to practice that instead of, instead of lying there and thinking about, well, what about this bill that has to be paid and, and this person that I really need to talk to, and I'm not relishing the idea of speaking to this person and so on and so forth. Um, mm -hmm. That would, but that would be a really good time to just uh, take a pause and just and so I'm going to be, yeah, I'm going to be honest with you about the two o'clock in the morning, because I yeah. use this example almost every single time for over 20 years of teaching, uh, because it is so common with people with two o'clock in the morning, right? And uh, first of all, I tell them, uh, mine's out of reach right now, or I would grab it, uh, that if you look at your phone at two o'clock in the morning, I, like Linda the Good Witch, will appear and rip it out of your hands, okay? <laughs> no good comes from, you know, looking at that phone in the middle of the night, right? I mean, even if it was phenomenally great news, you then would not be able to sleep the rest of the night. So it's it's in no way a good thing to ever look at your phone. Uh, but it's exactly what you're saying to place a pause while you are in bed and notice exactly what you're saying. Notice where your thoughts are. And then I instruct people 
to bring their attention to what it feels like in their body and to begin at their feet and noticing if their feet are cold or they're warm uh, and just slowly noticing the sensations in their body, beginning with their feet and moving up their body. It's called a body scan. It is a very common mindfulness practice. Uh, if we have a half hour, we can go through it. <laughs> you listen a 15 minute version later if you have an interest in it. But it is, uh, it's, a very, it's a very simple, easy practice. And if any of your listeners are thinking, I don't have a problem, you know, wake sleeping through the night, right? Uh, well, first of all, infants can sleep eight to 10 hours through the night. Most adults get up two to three times, right? But if you're thinking, oh, I don't have a problem. I sleep through the night easily. Well, then I'm going to, for this example, call you Ambien, okay? So <laughs> noticing when you wake up before you even get out of bed, right? Where you are, you know, are you in the present? Are, are you already, you know, thinking, oh God, I've got this meeting and then that meeting and I got to meet with that person today. Are you already racing? Uh, yeah, that, uh, that would be a really terrific way then to start your day and be ready for the rest of the day, right? Exactly. Exactly. So Harriet, I'm I'm thinking about the many situations that uh, a lean practitioner finds themselves in, where they really do need to be paying attention. And I think that we practice all sorts of things, you know, questions that we should ask. But I I think the practice of being being really just present and really paying attention is something that yeah I know we don't teach in a black belt class right yeah. <laughs> and you know you, you you took the training I'm thinking about that moment when uh, someone who is practicing lean is in the workplace with another person who's who's doing the job and the purpose of being there as a leader as a manager as a coach is to first of all understand what is happening before we we ask any questions and i think we all naturally go in and we think we already know what the answers are and so we try to practice not saying anything but the question i have for you is how could what's the best way to be mentally to focus mentally in order to do that work of really seeing before speaking so i love this example and i was trying to think of a way to unwrap it all okay so you gave me a a, a wonderful a lead in with that question because i was thinking of there are nine attitudes we cultivate with a mindfulness practice Okay, At, not in any special order. I'm going to jump around, right? Doesn't you, you don't have to start with one and then proceed through? Okay, um, I, I, I mean, I have them up so that in case I forget, I can sneak a peek off to the side. But I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to actually see if I could bring all nine to what you just said? So the first one is one of the things you just mentioned, which is beginner's mind. Okay, it's one of the attitudes we cultivate with a mindfulness practice. It's why on Amazon's campus, 
right? Jeff Bezos named one of his buildings day one. Okay. Ah, yeah. So what you just said, when you go into a project, right? That sometimes we, it's natural. We might have done our homework. We might've heard some things. We might jump ahead and think we know what's what the situation is when we do not know what the situation is <laughs> we, <laughs> we have not done a root cause analysis yet we are at the beginning and yet it is i think a natural tendency sometimes uh to forget that every moment is a new moment every day is a new day and that no matter what you might already know about this project uh, it's still, you're, you, it's very important to start with a clean slate, to be fair. So, so, so beginner's mindset. Beginner's, yeah. So beginner's mind is one of them. Uh, I already talked about non-judgment. So noticing, you know, taking a pause, noticing if you have any judgment about yourself. I hope I get it right. Uh, I, I've never worked with this group before. I don't, I mean, I, there's a lot of pressure. The CEO wants me to do this. The leader wants me to do that. I, you know, it's not like we frequently go with positive judgment toward ourselves. Like I am going to do a great job and hit it out of the park. I mean, that's not, unfortunately, the majority of the way humans think. We, um, we are very hard on ourselves. So before you can, or I'm going to encourage you, before you start practicing non-judgment toward others, maybe bring in a little non-judgment toward yourself as you begin this new project, right? So, wow. and, you know, and then one of the, the other attitudes is trust, right? And it's not only trusting others, but it's, it's trusting our inner wisdom, and if you are now in a project and you see that maybe trust is an issue or fear is an issue, well, then that is something you're going to have to address with leadership, right? Because it shows that there's some self-awareness that they need. And this is a practice of compassion, right? Compassion for ourselves, compassion for others, knowing that whatever project you're working on, Everybody is trying to do the best they can, right? So when when you're talking of, when you're talking about that compassion, is it also the same thing that it's it's compassion towards yourself as the observer or perhaps you know the potential coach or manager, you know, whatever whatever you position you're in, as mm -hmm. well as compassion for the people that you are you are working with and so mm -hmm. you said non-judgment, but compassion implies, I think, a kind of judgment, a, a judgment of respect, of, of, and I hate to use the word in the business context, but let's use it, of love, you know, mm -hmm. of really um, appreciating mm -hmm. the people for, for who they, for being amazing human beings. Mm -hmm. And, and that I think is also something that we, that we need to practice, right, Harriet? It's not, I think for for many for many people, and mm -hmm. you know, we, we were in the in a scientific medical um, environment. Many people have come through academic training that is not compassionate. That mm -hmm. is definitely um, the you know the way you're trained is by being given a really hard time for making a mis for making mistakes, right? Mm -hmm. 
And, and yet, you know, everyone is going through something. We're going through something. I don't know what you're going through. You don't know what I'm going through. Every single person listening to us right now is going through something. Uh, a year ago, it was a day like today. It was absolutely beautiful spring day. And I wanted a little bit of a break in the afternoon. And my husband happened to be working from home that day. And I said, I was going to run to the bank. And he said, I'll drive you. And we got to the bank and the parking lot was completely empty. And I thought, oh, this is great. I can run in, run out real fast. I just had to like, you know, tap the ATM machine. And as I'm walking out, I watched as this big SUV drove into the bank parking lot and back directly into my husband's car. <gasps> and, oh my goodness. And I was like, did I just see that? I mean, did I, I mean, the parking lot was empty. How is this even possible? Right. So to make a long story short, uh, you know, nobody was injured. Uh, she parked then next to my husband and got out of the car. <laughs> she was upset. We obviously were a bit irritated ourselves, right? Uh, there's nothing wrong with anger. Anger is a valid emotion. I just tell people that if you hold it for too long, it's kind of like, you know, when you hold a hot coal with the intent of throwing it, who is really getting burned, right? So it was appropriate in the moment that we were concerned. Um, but here's the thing. Um, after she parked, her husband got out of the car very slowly. And he said, you know, we just came from the hospital. I live two blocks from a trauma center. And he said, we just came. I'm undergoing chemotherapy. Right? He goes, I'm sorry. And he didn't even have to explain anything else. Right? I mean, I'm a nurse. I immediately knew what happened. But, you know, you don't have to be a nurse to understand how this wife backed into my husband's car in an empty parking lot. But here's the interesting thing as to how it relates to compassion. What if that husband had not gotten out of the car? And we see that every day, right? The person who misses the deadline at work. Do, do we know if their husband's dealing with chemotherapy or if they were up all night caring for a child or a parent? We have no idea. And yet sometimes, uh, and you know what this is like firsthand, when you go in and you're doing these lean projects and you're sometimes you're finding a big mess and yet some some of the root cause for some of these big messes are people are really dealing with quite a lot and they're not yes. sharing and they're not sharing everything i think have right. you ever that found goes, that yeah absolutely and and it goes back to the trust as well and and make if people will not share if they don't no, if they don't believe that they will be treated fairly as a result of sharing, and if you know, if they, for for whatever reason, uh, and some people just are more private than others, they're, they're not going to share everything right. anyway. Yeah, it's right. true. I mean, it's really true. So, so, so let's go back to. So we've got this situation. We've got we've got this uh, lean practitioner. They're they're in a situation. They're at the mm -hmm. gamba. They're trying to understand what's happening in the workplace, mm -hmm. and um, they're going in there. Mm -hmm. They're going to be uh, 
being non-judgmental. They're going to be viewing the situation with compassion. Remind me of the other stuff, Harriet. Yes, yes. No, definitely beginner's mind. That's why I have the list up beginner's just in case mind. if I have to steal you a You have your list. Yeah, I know. I have it up mind. there. Yeah. I literally yeah. wrote the book and I still have the list up there just in case. Uh, so, I know how that is. I know how that is. So, so what else? Yeah. So another one is letting go, right? Because you might go in there uh, with these preconceived ideas of wanting things to be a certain way. And the people you're working with maybe don't want to do it that way. I, I mean, it's something as simple as you might want to have meetings in the morning because that's what works best for you. And the people that you're having to work with, well, they have other plans and they want to meet in the afternoon. Right. So there's right, yeah. so much negotiation that has to go on. So letting go is a big one. It's just not letting go of judgments or letting go of, of different challenges we might be having. It's also letting go of these, these structures that we put into place. Uh, I mean, it, it reminds me of when the very first time I was a manager, uh, the people who reported to me weren't doing it my way, my way, which was the best way. I mean, I guess it was. I like worked so hard on this process. It was the best process. And it was really frustrating me. And I went to my manager and he said, you know, you're not responsible, right? For their mistakes. And I was like, what? And he goes, they have to do it their own way. They have to learn what works well for them. He goes, they have to experience it. Uh, I'm like, he goes, they might do it a different way that is just as effective for them, but does not work well for you. And so I had to let go of my way being the perfect right way and be open to somebody else's idea who actually was doing the process. Right. And that is, I think, even for very expert lean people I think that's always a problem especially when you've done a number of different deployments and you've seen things work well in other places you know to go into that new place with that beginner's mind and then understand that the thing that worked great somewhere else in your great you know perfect lean system isn't going to work in this place for whatever reason you know um and I love what you said Harriet about it it you know the people who are doing the work they're the ones who know best mm -hmm. right and and they're going to be the ones who uh will have to take and adapt and make whatever you suggest work but it's even better if they come up with their own ideas and then be given the opportunity to try them and experiment with them and learn with them themselves rather than simply adopt all of our ideas yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna blend in two more attitudes then because okay, one great. is um, patience, right? It's patience with ourselves when people are doing processes a way that they feel is a really excellent way that, you know, how could it possibly be improved, <laughs> right? So it's having patience with yourself uh, that you're going to have to let them learn in their own time. Right. I mean, if anybody's ever tried to teach anybody to tie the sh their shoes or if we remember what it was like to tie our shoes, uh, you know, there's a lot of patience that's involved. Right. So that the people who are actually doing the job that to have patience with them as they're even explaining to you what it is that they do and how they do it and why they do it.
right? Um, another attitude is non-striving. And it's one of my favorite because whether it's at work or in our personal lives, we are great at striving. We want to be the best. We, you know, we want the best outcome. We want to be the best, you know, everything, best friend, best parent. Were you going to ask a question? I was, no, I have a, I have a thought, but let, let me, let me okay. hear you first. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so this is extremely interesting. So yeah, go cool. on. I want to hear the whole thing. Okay. So a friend of mine, um, I, I said, I, you know, non-striving is, is an, ad, an important attitude to cultivate. And, you know, one of the things are sometimes you may, not everyone, you may go into a lean project and you want to do it a certain way. And you really, you'll notice you're striving. I really want this to work out a certain, I really want this to happen. I really want them to do this. I, you're sticking to a timeline. I really want to get this project done in this amount of time, not knowing that these are humans, no matter what project you're working on, eventually human beings more than likely are going to be involved, even if they are running the machines, <laughs> right? So that non-striving, uh, noticing that. And uh, somebody said to me recently that, well, you know, how could you, you have to strive to be better? And I said, there's a real big difference between saying you're working toward a goal versus you are striving. Okay. It's a, it feels differently in our bodies and it's, it is why I, my default as a nurse is to notice if you're pushing, 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 pushing yourself, you know, if you're, you're striving to get the project done. And if you're striving to get other people to maybe get you the things back that you need to review or evaluate, uh, it's, it's one thing to have expectations where, you know, that's, that's totally fine. But if you notice that you are really holding the reins a bit too tight, then I'm just going to see if to maybe encourage you to just loosen up a little bit. Let it, you're going to, you know, it reminds me of going down the Grand Canyon. I was holding on so tightly to the reins that the wrangler said, you might want to ease up a little on the reins, right? I mean, either way that there, we're going down there. But so either way, you're still progressing, but that striving is not very healthy for us as human beings. That is such an interesting thing to say, because I'm thinking about, um, and I know some of my listeners are, you know, very much into the improvement cutter. And one of the things that we say in the improvement cutter is that the importance of striving and striving at the edge of our knowledge. And, you know, to go into those uncomfortable places and to, to push a little a little bit there. Mm -hmm. But I so appreciate what you're saying, Harriet, because if you're doing that with every single thing in your life and you're doing it all the time, you're holding the reins, that poor mule, is, which is ourselves, right, we're the mule, is never going to have a chance to take a breath, to relax, won't really know what direction to go because, because of the constant pull. And, um, you know, you, you talked at, at the beginning about, about, uh, you know, stress, um, it's, it sounds, you know, it's, it's creating unnecessary stress then it's, it's creating stress that probably is not going to get us anywhere. In fact, could be very harmful for ourselves. Um, unfortunately it is harmful for us, right? Um, mindfulness promotes ease. 
I always say that the reason how I got into this in the beginning was because of one word, two syllables, disease, dis-ease, disease, right? Going back to my mom, right? And work stress. So mindfulness promotes ease. And, uh, you know, I had read the statistic recently that there were 50 million people in the United States with autoimmune diseases, at least one autoimmune disease where their body is attacking themselves, people with, you know, uh, Crohn's and they even consider diabetes and could possibly be an autoimmune disease. And I mean, there's, there's, there's might be 50 that you could list right now of autoimmune diseases. Uh, and the fact that 75% of the autoimmune diseases are by these 50 million people are women women with these autoimmune diseases. Well, think of all the things that women are juggling. I mean, all the research still says, no matter how much men are highly, highly involved in parenting, it's still the women that's doing the majority, right? So you have women that are constantly pushing to do it all. We're not aiming to be good. We have unfortunately this default that's hardwired in us to be, you know, like as perfect as possible because that's what we see out there on social media, right? That everybody has it together except us. And that's right. That's right. Nonsense. Yeah. Utter nonsense. Yeah. And and I think that research is also showing that when that's applied to our children, that, that when the when children are, are pushed or where you know, children are expected to be perfect, what actually happens is that they are less able to mature and become competent adults who can handle the world on their own. Yeah. Um, so I um I, I like to uh, swim uh laps you know, just get in the pool and just swim. I'm not a great swimmer. Once again, I notice the judgment coming out of my mouth, right? I just <laughs> do the best I can and swim the laps. And I was coming out of the pool a few weeks ago and a mother was walking in carrying a baby and, and sort of dragging her like, you know, three or four-year-old son. And she was screaming at him, focus, focus. She goes, you're going in for swimming lessons. And I thought, oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> oh, fuck it. Can you imagine beginning your day having somebody scream at you focus? And I thought maybe people could hire me and I will call them randomly during the day. And I'll be like, are you focused on this present moment? Like, where are you? Are you, are you paying attention? <laughs> I won't scream at them because I'll do it the compassionate way. <laughs> do like, like, where are you? Where are you right now? Well, and that's, and that's, I feel so sorry for that mother because, because I can, I, you know, three-year-olds can be extremely difficult and, mm -hmm. um, right. Schedules exactly. are not made for three-year-olds. Right. Right. But, but it'd be so interesting actually to talk to the kid and say, well, what are you noticing right now? You know, what's, you know, you know maybe his head's full of thinking about Spider-Man or maybe he's, mm -hmm. um, overawed by the size of the swimming pool I mean, who knows what's actually happening in his head it'd be a great opportunity for mom to to uh -huh. find out oh i feel sorry for them i know it's because it's i've been, there. been right. there done that right people are dealing with a lot so a couple more of the attitudes right uh one being gratitude another one being generosity right uh because really taking that opportunity to express gratitude I remember, uh, <laughs> I you know, I like to express gratitude about, about the people I work with. I've been very fortunate. I've worked with wonderful people. And I remember somebody saying, 
You can't keep saying how wonderful your team is. Other people are, are feeling bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and I swear to you, this is true, Bella. I took my team into a room and I closed the door and I said, listen, I'm getting in trouble because you are wonderful and I am telling everyone about it. So I am <laughs> going to now tell everybody that you are bothering me and I just might walk up to you and like throw water over your head. I mean, of course <laughs> I was joking with them, but I, I, I wanted them to realize that there was going to have to be a little bit of a change, right? Uh, because I mean, it's important. It's, it's, you don't want to, if, if I was impacting a department because you know, I was being too effusive of the wonderful people I was working with. Uh, and some other people might not have been in that situation. But I mean, I think showing gratitude on a daily basis and not just for others that we're working with, for ourselves. What are we grateful today that we're able to do, right? We're not going through chemotherapy or maybe we are. And if we are, then how incredible we have the opportunity to have chemotherapy that didn't even exist probably 60 or 70 years ago. So, yeah, so seeing if we can bring the gratitude into our day and into our, the same thing, into our lean projects, the generosity. How can you bring in some generosity, right? What can you do if people, if you're used to setting up meetings that they're at nine o'clock in the morning, you know, can you be generous? and say, oh, it works best for you at four in the afternoon. Okay, maybe we can do it half a week one way and half a week another, but at least it opens the door for a conversation. And one of the great things that I've, I've observed in that kind of lean work is that it creates opportunities for generosity mm -hmm. so that as people start to understand the whole process and the impact of what they do on other people in the process, then they have these opportunities to generously change what they're doing to make other people's work easier. And um, that, then that actually creates a positive feeling for everybody. If you know that the person who's going to hand me something is thinking about me and is going to do something a little bit differently, change their habit for me. I mean, that is, I mean, that feels great, right? That, it's that. true. It really is true. I remember doing that exercise once where uh, you, you wear a little, you put like a piece of paper on your back and people walk around the room and write down one word about you when they think of you. And then at the end, everybody takes a little piece of paper off their back. And I still remember like, like being like, wow. You know, because we don't really know anonymously what people think of us. And, you know, it's when you when some when you share that with someone, it really it is profound. And I don't think there's uh, anything wrong with bringing the word love into the workplace. You know, Gary Zukoff, the Harvard physicist, says that humans basically have two emotions, love and fear. So whenever I was rolling out a project or working on a project, and it's the same thing, if you are involved in leading a lean project and there's challenges and people are not emailing you with love, talking to you in a kind way, uh, behaving in a kind, generous, open, caring way, ask yourself, what are they afraid of? What are they afraid of? Uh, and yes, it even works with our spouses. I hate to admit it, but when I get 
frustrated and I have a little bit of a challenge with my husband, I will sometimes say to him, why don't you just ask me what I'm afraid of? Oh, what a great question. Mm -hmm. So have we, have you touched on all the attitudes? I've lost count now, Harriet. Uh, yeah, I, oh, you know what? I left out one. Oh, there's, there's one I left out. I'm always interested to see which one I leave out because this is a great one for those people doing lean projects. Acceptance. Acceptance. Ah. When, so when I say that, what comes to your mind? Oh, it's such a, it's acceptance. You know, you can look at it negatively or positively. So you're going to negatively say, well, I, I'm going to, this result wasn't what I wanted. I'm going to accept it anyway and blah, 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 you know. Or you could, you can look at it and say, you know, the world has changed and I have, I have to, like everybody else, I'm going to be better off if I accept where we are today. Because it's just today. We can, we can move on tomorrow. Uh, yes. So, so here's the thing. Acceptance does not mean you are happy and thrilled with the situation. Okay. That is not acceptance. So the way I'm using acceptance here is you're going and you're having a, a, a big family get together outside and it rains, right? You can either still have the family get together and smile and laugh and you know, and it's the weather, right? Uh, or you can get angry and, you know, it's kind of like that old saying, you can do it the easy way or you can do it the hard way. <laughs> Either way, it's it's going to rain if it's raining. <laughs> like we, There's certain things we cannot stop. And so a lot of things happen in our lives that, you know, if we fight against it, uh, that sets up that churn in our body. And I really believe that churn is what sets up the increased inflammation that gets us sick. And when we are not feeling well, we are not at performing at our best. We are not as productive as we could could be. So this acceptance is really important because like I said, it doesn't mean you have to like the result, but if you're working with a team and they're doing the best they can and they say, well, this is this is the way we would like to do it. Well, then, you know, you can have a conversation, but you you don't have to always have everything your way. Yes. Yeah. And again, it's that's such an it's an opportunity for learning. Right. So if the situation you describe, people say, well, we absolutely this is the way we want to do it, then you can it acceptance is is absolutely something that that you can do and at the same time you can use you can say well let's make sure that as situation continues to change because it will everything always continues to change let's make sure it's still working for us right exactly yeah. and and then we can we can improve what we need to improve tomorrow or next week or next year yeah mm -hmm. But, but the rain, yeah, rain's going to keep coming. I mean, thank goodness for the rain, right? We need rain. <laughs> it's, it reminds me of um, <clears throat> uh, during COVID, right? I mean, a lot of people, they had a real challenge, like, <clears throat> excuse me, fighting against different things. And it was coming no matter what. I mean, you know, we, we are, this country, this world will never be the same. 
It was, you know, right. it's the virus, right? And in March of 2020, when everything shut down, uh, a CEO asked me to roll out mindfulness globally for his manufacturing company. And we were supposed to do it in person, but things changed, right? I had to accept that things changed. So we create. I created a train the trainer program instead. And to make a long story short, uh, it was successful. People felt it added great value. It's still being taught around the world. Uh, but the thing that was most fascinating is I said to the CEO, when did you get it? When did you realize the value of this practice? And he said, Harriet, it's when we got together that first time and you did the lunch and learn. And, and when we, I had gone in to do a lunch and learn at his company and he goes, we all sat around eating pizza. And he said, I realized it gave me the space to think. You know, when you place a pause, when you practice this, it gives you space. It gives you the space to think. And it's it's just fascinating. I mean, he never told me he was in the room during that lunch and learn. I had no idea the CEO of this billion dollar company was in the room. So, uh, and I never thought that manufacturing would be using mindfulness. And of course they would, because think of all the safety involved. Yes, yes. T and taking, I mean, they should be used to taking a pause for safety. Exactly. That should be part of the practice anyway. So, yes, yeah, so right. taking taking a pause to to be attentive and to think um, that should go right along with it. Right, but it's I mean it's it's valuable for I mean everybody whose job doesn't involve that level of commitment where we have to do a good job. It matters. Yeah. So, well, we made it tell all mine. Tell us uh, the name of your book and where we can find it. Oh, yes. The name of the book is called Perfect Attendance, Being Present for Life. So, and you can find it anywhere you normally buy books, whether it's Amazon or Barnes and Noble or where, wherever you normally buy your books. Uh, I purposely don't have any testimonials on the front or back cover because at the end of the book, I say, the only testimonial that matters is yours. I want to know what your feedback is. So if people buy the book, I really invite them to follow up and contact me and post a review because I, I really would like to know what resonated with them. That's terrific. And so where can people find you, Harriet? Yes, it's easy to locate me. Uh, my website is harrietstein.com. Uh, I always say nowadays, there's so much information on the internet that um, please just call me before you come over to my home. So uh... <laughs> duly noted. Yeah, thank you. All right. And you're on LinkedIn as well, right? I am. Yes, they definitely can reach out to me on LinkedIn as well. Sure, definitely. Terrific. All right. So, so get the book and have a conversation with Harriet. Harry, it's been such a pleasure to spend time with you today. And I just want to thank you for traveling with me to the edges of lean. Can I, oh, thank you so much. Can I add one more little piece of advice? Yes. For, yes. Because you had mentioned for young people. Ah, uh, yes. Go for it. Uh, one of the things that I have found so amazing for the feedback on this book was that people that I knew were buying it and they were giving it to their children. And I had no idea that it would be resonating with people who were in their early 20s. And I said, what was resonating with them? 
And they said the part in the book where you said you worked in the hospital and that nobody ever said from their hospital bed that they wish they had spent more time at work. So that is my advice for all of your listeners. Spend time for yourself. Place a pause in your day for yourself and do not spend all of your life focused on work. Thank you. That's so perfect. What great advice. All right. Well, thank you, Harriet. Thanks for, thanks for spending this time with me. Thanks, Bella. Thank you very much. This is Bella Engelbeck, and I'd like to thank Harriet Stein for being my guest on the Edges of Lean. What did you learn from this conversation? What ideas did it spark for you? What pauses are you going to place? We would love to hear from you. Find Harriet at HarrietStein.com or on LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn or at LeanForHumans.com or comment wherever you watch or listen. Subscribe and tell a friend about the edges of lean. Please join me in exploring more of the edges of lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelberg with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.